I'll turn your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. We're actually studying verses 1 through 4, but it's, you know, verses 1 through 4 is really the, the one thought. But uh, we're going to give attention in the beginning here to verse 1. Now this is the last chapter in this letter called First Corinthians. And of all the things that Paul has wanted to tell this church, this is the last thing. I mean, and you recall, I mean, he's hit on a lot of theology so far. He's covered a lot of ground when it comes to theological things. I mean, heavy on the doctrine. Spiritual gifts in chapters 12 through 14. In one chapter alone, he gave the doctrine really for love in chapter 13. But now he gets practical. Of course, we know chapter 15 was that great doctrine of the resurrection. But now he gets practical. He says, all that doctrine is so that you can live your life. It's all meant to get you, to get your feet moving and your hands moving and your mouth moving in a certain direction. And so this is the church in motion in chapter 16. And he tells the church in light of such a great future resurrection that we have, we get moving in the present, right? Now the first thing to get moving about is your giving. Look at verse 1. He says, concerning the collection. Now this, by the way, is not Paul saying, man, I've got to find a way to fit money into this deal here. I've got to find a way to talk about giving. There's always got to be a giving sermon in there somewhere, right? I mean, this is not that at all. It actually was their question. This is a question of the church. And so, excuse me, the church has a question about the collection. You say, what collection? Well, he's talking about a collection of money that Paul is getting from all other like-minded churches, churches that are in that area around, all where he has established these churches, he's planted them. And he's going to collect money to help out the church at Jerusalem. Now in talking about collecting money for them, he gives them and he gives us principles then on giving money. On giving money. You say, why start there? Money. I mean, when we talk about practical things, why money? Well, let me give you some thought here. I mean, Paul's not just a theologian, he's a shepherd. And what does a shepherd care about? He cares about the heart, right? The idea of a shepherd is to come alongside people and help guide, help direct their hearts. It's not just about getting them to do physical things, but really the heart of them. In other words, the motive that's behind the physical thing. John 21, Jesus said, before he left, shepherd my sheep. You know, it's always good and important to pay attention to the last words. And of course, with Jesus, he was ascending. And so there were particular things he wanted them to know about. It says in Acts 1 that he taught them many things concerning the kingdom. But one of the things that he taught them concerning the kingdom, we have right there in John 21, when he said, shepherd my sheep, my flock. What tells you about the heart more than anything? Money. Now, don't just take my word for that. Jesus said in Matthew 6, For where your treasure is, your, there your heart will be also. Our hearts often get us into trouble when it comes to money. Have you noticed that? In 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. 
He doesn't even say it's a root of evil. He says it's a root of all sorts of evil. In other words, evil can come in all kinds of packages. And wrappers. He says, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, money has been the instrument to take people from following the Lord away from following the Lord. There could be trouble there. Now money itself isn't evil. But loving it more than God or in place of God is evil. Now you could just read the Old Testament and see how many people destroyed their lives because of money. It caused Balaam to mislead Israel, to curse, to try to put a curse on Israel rather than a blessing. It caused Gehazi to lie to Elisha. You remember Gehazi was the guy that he was training. It caused Delilah to lie to Samson. And we've been studying Judges. You remember seeing that. And you get to the New Testament, it's the same trouble. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit when you gave this money and you made it seem as though it represented everything when it didn't. In other words, what's your scheme? What are you really after? What do you want? You're wanting something. You're wanting it to make it seem like you're at this place spiritually, but really you're over here. And it was all because of your gift. This came about. In other words, the optics looked good, but the actual spiritual place that you were at was bad. Because 1 Corinthians 4, God knows the motives of your heart. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So it makes sense that Paul wants to talk about money, right? I mean, it's he, he's a shepherd, so of course he's going to want to talk about money. Of course. Because he wants to talk about their hearts. Now that's interesting. And what's interesting really is that money can also be a statement of blessing. So it's not always uh, connected to evil. I've been reading Job and... When all that suffering came Job's way, you remember that, and it, and it took a hit on his family and all that he owned, and it really made him and all his friends really confused. Why? Because the friends said, well, you must have sinned, and that's why you suffer. Job said, well, this isn't fair, I haven't sinned, I shouldn't be suffering. And really both of them just didn't understand God. But the reason why they were thinking like that, in that context there, was because there was an underlying principle that held them. Think about it. And that is this, that money was the statement of blessing by God. And so those with more of it or more blessed by God. So in other words, if I've lived a life where God has blessed it and there's been all this wealth, why did he then take it away? And Job is saying, I didn't do anything wrong. And his friends are saying, you must have done something wrong. Now that's not always true, but there is a general truth attached to that. James 1.17 says that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. And so if you've been blessed with money and ability to have resources, then you need to understand that it came from God's hand, right? That it was given to you by Him. 
Isn't it always good for us to come back to that place? Lest we think to ourselves that our own hands have achieved this wealth or this success or have gotten us to this place. It was given to you by him. And so when it comes down to it, the attitude is the key, right? It is your attitude towards your money that is the key. What is then, I ask you, beloved, your attitude toward money? What is your attitude toward blessing? What's God want you to do with that money that he's given to you? Have you asked that question? You should. You must. Acts 20, it is more blessed to give than to what? Receive. Have you thought of that that way, that verse? When you ask the question, why has he given it to me? Then quote Acts 20, and I think it's verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that will help you. Now, what, is a, what does a wrong attitude toward money look like? I can cover that ground with one word, coveting. In fact, in that, uh, I noticed in that 2 Corinthians 9 reading of Scripture that we had earlier, did you notice the issue of covetousness in there? Coveting. Now, what's coveting? I, mean, I want you to think about how many times... God warns us against coveting. You say, well, what is it? Coveting is wanting something that you don't have. It's pretty simple, right? Wanting something you don't have. It's where it is a particular sin that involves the eyes that go from the eyes to the heart to then whatever action comes next. Why? What is all that about? It is wanting something and being willing to go outside of God to get it. Wanting something and being willing to go outside of God to get it. You name it, and that's it. And it doesn't have to be a thing, right? Remember the guy in Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus said, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, every form of coveting, every form of wanting when you shouldn't be wanting. I mean, there are different forms of it, right? Be on guard against it. And then Jesus gives the insight, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So many of us allow ourselves to be defined by our possessions. It's a terrible thing to do, right? Your possessions aren't you. Your possessions are just possessions. Now, why does Jesus say it that way? He's saying, even when you have stuff, it doesn't take away the greed, the coveting, right? You always hear people that talk about, you know, Powerball or whatever. The, you know, I'm going to go get the ticket deal and... And you always have that conversation. Well, what would you do with your millions? Well, let's see. Of course, I would give a lot to people that need it and all that stuff. And then, of course, and then there's this other thing that I would do, right? And you're dreamy and you're thinking about that. It's not hard. And that's because our hearts go that direction. We're coveters. Why is it that our hearts are that way? God has made our hearts in such a way where the only thing that truly satisfies it is himself. Well, in, in Luke 12, the Jesus then gives a parable to drive what he just said home. A guy is reasoning to himself, what shall I do? I have 
no place to store my crops. In other words, I have so much wealth, I've run out of building. Verse 18, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I'm going to build larger ones. There I will store all my grain in my goods. I mean, this guy says, man, I have all this wealth. I've been blessed. I mean, I have so much. There's just no room for it all. What's the solution? Build a a bigger bank. Why does he think that way? Verse 19. I will say to my soul. Here's why. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What's his attitude toward money? I'll give it to you. First, it's mine. Second, invest it into me. Thirdly, splurge on yourself. And fourth, assume that life will just keep going this direction. That you have loads of time to figure out how to indulge and invest your money. Now be honest. How many of you have thought similarly? Go through it again. You're looking at your piles of money. You say, oh boy. You're looking at your money. Okay, so I'm all right. You're sort of piles. You're looking at your money. And you say it's mine. And then you invest it into yourself. And thirdly, you splurge on yourself. And fourthly, you assume that life will just keep going this direction. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? I want you to hear something here. He's not telling the guy, what a foolish thing. You should have uh, invested it differently and made, you know, kind of, you know, thought of a plan for your kids and and your kids' kids and all that kind of stuff. That's not what he's saying. I'm going to show you that here in a moment. He's not telling him, boy, if only you would have had a better plan that way. What he's trying to show him is you have such a, horrendous attitude about money. You don't get it. You're not understanding. I'll tell you how I know that. Look at the very, listen to the very next verse. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself. It is not rich toward God. You understand the problem? This, what Jesus is trying to say is, this man will always have trouble until he understands that in his heart he's a coveter. And he's got to take care of that issue. Now what is the answer to his wealth? It is found right here in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4. Two words, give it. That's the answer to his wealth. Give it. Give it. He said, well, where? How? Oh, such good questions. First Corinthians 16 has the answer. Isn't that good? All right. Listen, you won't need a bigger barn if you plan to give it, right? In fact, you might need a smaller one. Imagine what that would have looked like. Hey, tear down that barn. It's too big. Beloved, that's a picture of all of us. And when we are coveters at heart at salvation, God set us free from that kind of sin ruling us. You can read about that in Romans 7. Paul said, I wouldn't have known about coveting had not I read about it. And the Lord showed me my heart that it is a coveting heart. At salvation, God set us free from that. So here's an attitude that has to be there when it comes to giving. You have to deal with your bent to covet. You'll never be a giver the way the Lord wants you to until you do. So what's the right attitude? To be free, to be sacrificial, to be willing 
to be giving. In other words, we hold our money with an open hand. Not just an open hand, but an extended open hand toward those, toward where the need is, right? And so verse 1. Now concerning the collection. Now they want to know about this collection to the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, it might be that they're saying to themselves, oh boy, I mean, uh, we have thoughts about giving money and everything, but we need to first hear what you have to say. So this could be a little bit of maturity here on their part. Maybe they're saying, uh, we want to make sure we do it the right way. So help us out with that, Paul. And so Paul lays out eight principles then on giving, and he makes it into that kind of a topic. So let's take a look at these principles. The first principle, the reason for giving, verse 1. What's the reason? In other words, why give? Look at verse 1. For the saints. In other words, to take care of the needs of those of the church first. Believers first. You say, well, I, I've got thoughts about uh, money. I, I've got a, there's this group over there. And there's a needy group over there. And I kind of want to have to overhear, you know, believers first. That's what he says. You remember we talked about how that works best. I mean, when, when you understand that we're just stewards for you know, for the owner of all things, it works out better, doesn't it? Who's the who's the owner of all things? God. So it, it's His money. So how should we use it? Taking care of the physical and spiritual needs of the saints in the church. Now, sometimes it's the saints who have needs. Sometimes it's the saints who are responsible to lead. But it goes that direction. And so we free them up as much as we can so they can lead. There's a second principle here that we saw. So that's the first one. The second one is the routine when forgiving, right? The routine when, when giving. Verse 2. Now this answers another question. When do you give? And he answers it. On the first day of every week. When's that? The Lord's Day. Resurrection Day. When the saints gathered. Now what is the point of that? Is he trying to make them kind of be, you know, here, get out your calendar. All right, here you go. and Put it on there. And you know, maybe get out your electronic deal there. and Just put on there like... So that it digs you on Saturday night to remind you next day you're going to give. Well, maybe for some. But I think that's not so much the idea. I think there's a principle here. He says, I I, I want you to be focused on, I want you to connect giving to the saints gathering. The assembly. God wants us to come face to face with this stewardship of giving weekly. I, now, I, I worded it that way on, on purpose. Some of you might say, well, but I get paid once a month. Well, that's fine. You can either break that down into four week, four increments, or two, or do one lump or whatever. I don't think that's so much the point. The point is understanding that you come face to face with this stewardship of giving weekly. And if you're going to do it every other week, then on that off week, you better be going before the Lord and say, Lord, please don't let me be a person who becomes a coverter with my money. You regulate your giving so that it does that. And so what that means is you're dealing with your heart weekly. And I'll just say this, as much as you can get it on a schedule, and and weekly is the best if you can do that, but I think the better. 
But make it an issue of every week dealing with your heart that way, especially when you realize that your treasure has to do with your heart. All right, next principle. Number three, the route. The route in giving. What's the question? Where do you give? Where do you give? Verse 2, it says this. Let each one of you put aside and save. I think, I think in one version, it might be the King James, lay aside in store. Uh, it, it makes it kind of sound weird, almost like you're going to find a store and go put it in there or something. I'm going to explain this. Now, when he says this, is it you saving money or taking money and waiting to see needs and then just meeting them on your own? Is that what he's saying here? Is that what it means when it says put aside and save? No, it does not. That's not the route to your giving. There's a reason why I chose this word route to describe what our giving should be like. The route isn't to make some kind of bank private bank account for the saints to meet the, to meet needs that's not the route and then there's this other route where putting your giving aside means giving it to the church but then earmarking it you ever heard of people that do that what's that mean it means well here's a giving and on the bottom you say hey I, this is for such and such a need or whatever over there That isn't the biblical route either. He said, well, what is it then? I believe this verse teaches us to place our giving in the hands of the church and for the leaders to decide what to do with it. And what we do is pray for our leaders to have wisdom. And they use our giving in the way that seems best. And that's going to take trust on our part. And also it means we need to make sure that we have godly people in leadership so that they don't abuse that, right? It's the reason why in 1 Timothy 3 he says one of the qualifications of an elder is not a lover of money, right? 1 Peter 5, 2-3, same thing, not fond of sordid gain. Got to be a guy that's trustworthy with money. Also a person who is filled with wisdom from the word to know how to use all our giving for the direction of the Lord's church. See? Now listen. From the earliest of, of the time of the first church, that is how giving was handled. Now, I want you to see this, so turn for a moment to Acts chapter 4. Turn to Acts chapter 4 so that you can see that principle in action. You can look at verse 32. The church of assembled believers were of one heart and soul, it says. How do you know? Verse 32. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. In other words, what you had there was mutual sharing. If I have it and you need it, then it's yours. It's that simple. I love that. That's good stuff. Now, when they talk about this, they don't mean that everybody brought all their stuff and put it in a big old pot and And it just kind of became the communal deal. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is open hand. I have it, but if it benefits you more, then then I'm willing to give it. Just take it. It's yours. Verse 33, abundant grace was upon them all. He's saying that because he was saying that God was providing Their needs. How? Verse 34, not a needy person among them. And then you see practically how God's grace was answering all those needs. Verse 34, for all 
who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Owners of land or houses would sell their stuff and the money that they got from it. Then they would what? Give it to the needy, right? That's not what it says. Decide who really has the need and go give it to him, right? That's not what it says. They would give it to the apostles and they would give it to the needy. The church leaders would figure out who the needy were. That's the idea of laying it at the apostles' feet. Now think about what that would require. Trust, right, from the givers and character from the leaders. And prayer... From both, right? <laughs> say, all right, I'm giving this, trusting the Lord. I better start praying for you. And then they get it and they go, oh, godly man would say this. I don't, I don't feel great about having all this responsibility with all this money. I need prayer so that I can dole this stuff out in a wise way, right? That's why, again, you get godly leaders in the church to lead the church, see. But that's how the early church did it. There's nothing in the Bible, by the way, to indicate giving out of your private account. You gave to the leaders of the church and they used that money to take care of the needs of the body. That's that's the route. That's how it flowed. Notice too, each of you put aside. That means that it is a personal decision. I like that. It's not the church telling you how much to put aside. It's, it's personal. I mean, but just because it is personal doesn't mean that you, you, you tell the church leaders how you want the money being used. You decide how much, and then you lay it at the feet of the spiritual leaders there in the church. That's It's that simple. We don't really have that, that deal here. If you liter- take that literal and you go and you throw some money at my feet, I'm not going to be sure what to do next. Am I supposed to dance here? You know, I don't know what's going on here. No, we got a box back there. All right, just put it in the box. I do too. We just, we're all together. We don't really do a little uh, collection plate deal here. Some churches do that. And that's fine. Okay. But we're all in this together that way. Put it at the feet of spiritual leaders. The word save in the NAS is the Greek word they say ritzo. They say ritzo. It's where we get our English word thesaurus from. Uh, the word thesaurus just means treasury. Treasury of words. That means a widespread of words connected to the root word. Now, let me help you here. The idea then is this. The place where you put your treasure. You say, where was the place where they put treasure back then at Corinth? Well, historically, we understand that to be the pagan temples. The pagan temples. You would store your money there, and there's a reason why, because you made your offerings there. And the offerings were often made to appease a god, and so therefore, the pagan temples was a place of fear. In other words, it was secure and stable. Nobody is going to steal from that because you would call 
upon wrath on your head from whatever God that you just stole from. So, there was tons of superstition, by the way. I mean, you don't mess with the temple. You don't tempt fate. You give your offerings. You leave it alone. The temples were safe. And so oftentimes, people put their money there. They were like banks. The pagan temples became like banks. Now, the treasury then became one and the same with the assembly for worship. It was the safest place for savings. Later in these verses, the reason why Paul could say, I don't want you to make a collection when I get there, is because the money should already be there from their giving, right? In other words, he assumed that they had a place where that money was kept and they could go get it and have it ready. So you gave you give right there to the spiritual leaders of that church to take care of the money so they could give it away to the spiritual needs of the body. See? Gave the money to the ones most likely to be led by the Spirit. Now you put this together and what does giving look like? Here we go. You have a reason to give. Why is that? For the saints, right? Support the needs of the church and One need you always have is to financially support the ones that feed you, that shepherd your souls. Second, you have a routine in giving. Make it regular, right? There's a stewardship in it. It's not your money. There's a, uh, you make it clear that you understand that. I mean, how do you do that? By giving weekly. Give regularly as worship. You come to this assembly, give to make it clear that you love the Lord. And then third, you have a round in giving. You bring it to the leaders. You lay it at their feet. And then you pray for them, right? And you give to the needs of the body through them, right? He is saying, so I don't have to worry about meeting people's needs. Just let the elders do that for me. Not exactly. The Bible talks about giving that is designated. That's the first kind. But then there's giving that goes beyond. It's more of a First John 3 kind of giving. Verse 17, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Or Luke 10, where you have the example or illustration of the Good Samaritan, right? So there's a place for caring for individual needs. But 1 Corinthians 16 says that doesn't take the place of the giving that's connected to the Lord's church. Okay? There's a fourth principle on giving. And let's call this one the realm, the realm of giving. Now this one deals with the question, who's involved in the giving? Who gives? Verse 2. It says, let each one of you. So we're asking the question, who participates in this thing? Each one of you. Beloved, giving isn't for the wealthy. Giving isn't for the ones who have more money. It has nothing to do with your tax bracket. Everyone gives. Now some use Luke 21 as the example of this. You remember that poor widow? She had the two small copper coins and and it says she gave and Jesus said hey look at this woman she gave everything she had to live on now she did that right after a bunch of rich people put their gifts into the treasury and what Jesus was trying to point out is she put more in than they did now in Luke's gospel we come to find out that that was actually a negative example, meaning, isn't it sad that this poor woman put more than they did into their corrupt system? But I think the big lesson for us also to take away is, but Jesus saw her heart. She didn't see the corruption, but he did. Imagine, though, this. Imagine 
What would giving to a righteous system look like if that's what giving to a corrupt system looks like? I mean, why wouldn't we give like her? Think about it. I mean, if we were convinced that the word of God was being preached, that the gospel was going out, that the Lord Jesus Christ is here and he is working through his body, marked by obedience to him, why wouldn't I give all that I could to that, right? doesn't matter how much I have. Jesus never said that woman shouldn't have given all she had. He never said that. What is the key? It is giving. Giving is the realm of all believers. It's not a matter of how much you have, but how faithful you are to what you have. Luke 16.10, mark it down. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. You say, what's he talking about? Faithful in what? Next verse. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the the true riches to you? Now, what is unrighteous wealth? It's just money. If you've been unfaithful with the world's money that actually belongs to the Lord, how will the Lord entrust you to true riches? What are the true riches? Souls. Spiritual things. More ministry opportunities. He says, if you can't, if you have a hard time being faithful to something like money, the spiritual opportunities are going to be few for you. All right. The reason for giving support the saints that need and the saints that lead. Routine and giving, have a plan each week, make it a worship. Do do it like a steward. The route of giving, lay it at the feet of the elders, the Lord has given to the church. The realm of giving, each one, nobody is exempt. One last principle for this morning the range of giving. The range of giving. Now this principle answers the question. How much do we give? You say, all right, finally. Tell me so that I can know. I've got my checkout or whatever. I've got, you know, I'm going to figure this out. And today, you're going to tell me so that I can just know. Well, look at verse 2. It says, as he may prosper. Now, the typical answer here at church is on how much to give is 10%, right? Have any of you heard that before? Sure. Give 10%. You say, yeah, where, where do we get that number? Where did 10% come from? I'm going to give you a little bit of an idea. This is not a full-on study on 10%, okay? But just a little, little enough for you to have a sense of this here. There are a few places where you can see that. Abram gave Melchizedek one-tenth of what he had in Genesis 14. That's the first instance that we have have of giving a tenth. He had, uh, Abraham was coming back from a battle that he won and and he gave a tenth. Over Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the Lord says. Ah, it's called a tithe there. So we're to give a tithe, right? Doesn't that mean a tenth of what we have? No. I'm going to show you that here in a moment. Clearly from 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, we are to give as we prosper. We don't all prosper the same way, so our giving will be different, right? I mean, if the Lord has blessed you, then give it. That's the sense of this. Now we need to look at this a little deeper here. And uh, you can sort of break down the times of giving into three sections that, I, that I'm going to do this for you. There's pre-Moses, there's Moses to Christ, and then we can say Christ to present day, okay? <clears throat> now what did the believers give to the Lord pre-Moses? Well, we see this example of Abram giving... Um, a tenth to Melchizedek. But what was that all about? Now, the first place to start is with this. 
Apparently, giving a tenth was a pagan practice. We know that historically. You say, why? I mean, we know that, by the way. The pagans gave a tenth. You went to the temple, you gave a tenth. You say, why did they do that? Well, the thinking was this. Ten represented the number of wholeness. You say, why did that represent the number of wholeness? Well, think about it. You got ten fingers. You've got ten toes. Put it all together, and that's utilizing everything you can, right? And so the idea of ten became the, 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 the whole of it. The whole of it. So to give a tenth was to kind of sort of symbolize that. You gave a tenth, it meant you were giving yourself in whole to whatever it is that you worship. So why did Abram give Melchizedek a tenth? By the way, we have no example of Abram giving a tenth any other time. So this is not something that he always did. This was something unique. Well, as I mentioned, he was coming back from a battle victory and Melchizedek was a priest of of God Most High and it says Abram gave him a tenth of all his spoils. Nobody told him to do that. Melchizedek didn't tell him to do that. It was simply a statement to this priest of God, most high, from his heart, that God gets credit, total credit for the victory. That's it. It was simply his choice. It was Abram freely giving that. And maybe it was to tell Melchizedek, hey, you know how all the pagans give Well, I'm going to give to you differently. Not giving my money to the pagans. I know the Lord that gave victory to me, and so I give this to you, Melchizedek. He said, was there ever a time before Israel became a nation when God required giving? Well, there's one time that you could see it there in Genesis, and I believe it's chapters. 41 through 47 or something like that. But that was the time with Joseph and Pharaoh and the Israelites were there in Egypt. And and he required giving. But listen, you remember why he required the giving? It was so that it could be used later on for the famine that was going to come. And by the way, they were paying Egypt, that is the government, and so the kind of giving that they gave, that they gave is uh, similar to what we might call taxes. It operated at that same place, that same level. By the way, also, it wasn't 10%. It was actually 20%. God set that up through Joseph. So one-fifth of what they had, they were to give. So what's that tell us about giving before Moses? Not required on an ongoing basis, not 10%, and for the famine it was 20%. And it looked more like what taxes are today. You know, you go and you look at Cain and Abel, for example. Remember they they had an offering? Notice it doesn't tell us how much. It doesn't tell us what. Hold on to that thought. Was in their, it was whatever was in their hearts. That's what Cain and Abel gave. What about giving from Moses to before Christ? Leviticus 27, mark that down. The Lord says to the nation Israel, give a tenth. Why? To pay for the priests, the Levites. Why? Because they didn't have land and there was no way for them to create their own economy. So you took care of them. Now watch this. Then Deuteronomy 12, you had a second kind of giving, and this was another 10%, and that was to pay for the festivals and the feasts. Okay? The things that they had yearly. And then you had a third kind of giving, and that was to take care of the poor, and that was 10% over three years. Put it together. 
And giving every year was 23, you could say, and a third percent for Israel, for the believers. That was national giving as a nation. That kind of giving was more like our taxes to our national government. Now listen to me. The word tithe then is connected to that kind of giving, taxation. Mark that. But there was another kind of giving that the Lord God encouraged the Jews to exercise, and we could call that free will giving. Free will giving. From the heart giving. Above their taxes kind of giving. And you see all that all throughout the Proverbs, right? For example, Proverbs nineteen seventeen: One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. You give to the needy, and you're actually giving to the Lord. Now listen, the Lord is a bank. You invest in the Lord, and the return will be based on what the Lord can produce with your gift. See? But all through Proverbs, it's just give, give, take care of the needs. Proverbs 3, nine. honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You give to the Lord from your wealth. And you know what he says there in Proverbs 3? And the Lord will take care of you. He will, I mean, he'll take care of that and he'll care for the poor and then he'll lavish grace on you with some kind of blessing. Or how about this one? Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due and yet it results only in want. Listen to verse 25 of Proverbs 11. The generous man will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. This is just incredible truth for us. You've got to believe it. This is an incredible principle. This is the kind of giving that is compared to scattering seed or watering a ground. And and he says the return is always going to be greater than what you put in. Now what regulates that? Only one thing. Your heart. That's it. He doesn't tell you how much to scatter. He doesn't tell you how much to give. He just says, do it, and your return is going to be greater. And as you prosper, you look in your heart, and then you give because you are aware that He gave you that wealth, right? So many examples of people that that's true. Where you give and you just see the Lord just returning so much more. And you can't explain why. Other than that's just how the Lord does it. Now there's some other places to see this in the Old Testament. But I'm just going to point out one. Well actually two, but it's one book. Exodus 25. The Lord gives Moses the designs for the tabernacle. You remember that? I mean, all right, hey, build the tabernacle and do it this way. Here are the designs. Tabernacle was a place where the people would come and bring offerings and meet God and get a taste of His presence and His glory and so forth. So how are they to make this thing? Well, the designs call for some really ornate creativity. And so verse 2, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him. You shall raise my contribution. Who should give? Any Israelite. What should he give? God says, whatever moves his heart, give that. And we see the same thing in Exodus 35. Got to get the priest's garments to wear. And they need to not only be covered, but they need that they need to convey that they serve God. That is the God of the universe. And so verse 20, that all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence, everyone whose heart stirred him, 
And everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of the meeting, for the tent of meeting, and for all its service and for the holy garments. And then verse 22, that all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came forth. But here's what I want you to see, verse 29. The Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring it, they brought this free will offering to the Lord. And you get to chapter 36 and verse 6, and Moses issues a command, a proclamation. You know what it was? Stop giving. Enough. Do you imagine that? <laughs> you know, announcement this today, no more giving. You guys have done enough. It's been great. We have all we need, right? There will never be another need, you know, ever. But that's what they had here. They had all they needed. You're giving too much. Moses had to stop the giving. But the thing to see there was the the giving was free will. It was from the heart. It was whatever your heart said to give. Now, here we go. Let's fast forward to the New Testament times. After Christ, the church. What's giving supposed to be like? Two parts. Here we go. You say, how do I give? I'm going to tell you. Here it is. First, Romans 13, pay your taxes. That giving. You see, that's not really giving. It is. He says the government is used as an instrument to bear the sword for the Lord. Give. What's the second part? After you've done that, then give to the Lord whatever's in your heart. Here you go. That's it. That's it. You say, well, give me the percentage. There is none. The percentages I already showed you is for the taxes. And you know what? The government doesn't have a problem letting us know what that is, right? We know what that is. But the second one is just give from the heart. Free will giving from the heart is what we do here in the church, see. In other words, the answer to how much do we give, what is the range of my giving supposed to be, is giving in the church is whatever is in your heart. It's free will. There's no percentage. See, why does the Lord do it that way? Two reasons come to my mind. First, if he told you, if he told you, exactly how much you should give, it would become righteousness for you. You would feel so righteous. He came to set you free from your own righteousness. This Isaiah 64, 50 rags. I mean, you check it off like a grocery list or like a to-do list, right? You know you would. How can that get kind of giving be from the heart? See, And then Luke 17, I mean, you would only be doing what you were supposed to do. And with that kind of giving, love is optional, right? But second, when it is from the heart, that means it is from faith. When it is from the heart, it is from faith. When you give from faith, you're giving to God and it's an investment. You're not giving to anyone else. You're just giving to God. It's an investment with God. No wonder in Luke 6.38, Jesus talked about the return when you give. Listen, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. There's a return. Now what is that saying? What you'll give, you'll get back, but more. Is that a motive to give? No, that's an encouragement to keep giving by faith. See? He's not saying... As 
you are uh, some of our subgroups, let's say, today. You'll get a shiny whatever, or God will bless you with this thing or that thing. Or if you want something, then just start giving more and you'll get the thing that you want. That's not what this is saying. It's saying you give from your heart and God is always going to outrun your giving. Always. Always. To give you whatever it is that you need. The motive is the point and it is love. Let me give you one more picture on just how much you should be giving. Look at, do this here. We'll end with this here. Look at 2 Corinthians 9. Same church, right? Verse 6, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In other words, sowing, investing, giving your money bountifully, putting a bunch of seed into the ground, spread it out, right? Uh, Do it more, and you grow more from the ground, right? That's just basic to sowing seed. Verse 7, Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Notice, as you purpose to give in your heart. Who told you how much to give? Your heart. Not a tithe, not 10%, but your heart. Verse 7, for God loves a cheerful giver. A joyful giver, a giver who is free and who has dealt with his heart and just pushes out his giving from joy. See, But notice, God responds to that kind of giving. Verse 8, And God, who is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. See that? I mean, he's saying you give by faith out of love for God from your heart, liberally, just pouring it out. And God will also pour out out of his grace on you in everything. You'll never outgive God, see. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now watch this, verse 11. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which is, which through us is proclaiming, is producing, that is, thanksgiving to God. I mean, you give from your heart, and God will bless it, and will make all kinds of thanksgiving through people everywhere. Verse 12, through many thanksgivings to God. I mean, it is infectious. All sorts of people are just going to want to thank God. We'll see God as gracious, as a responder to givers. That is how you determine how much from the heart. How much do you want back from God? Give that much, see. And again, not an amount in terms of numbers, but from the heart. It's an investment in God as the bank. I'll tell you this little side thing here. And we... This was just a commitment. You got started this way. I remember um, back in, I think it was 2003. We at this time, I think we, I think we met in Jim Brown's house. I remember distinctly remember this. And we were talking about what kind of the church body and kind of how things would go and and how about communion and giving and all that kind of stuff. But I made a commitment back then to not know how much you give. And to this day, I can say I have kept that commitment. I have no idea. But that's because we just want it to be from the heart. Just from the heart. I figure if I work on your heart, then the Lord will work on whatever the amount needs to be for you. I could never go up to somebody and say it's not enough because I have no clue. I have no no idea. But God does. And I think that's the point. God is the bank. Now, let me end this with a very familiar illustration. 
Remember Zacchaeus? Luke 9, excuse me, 19. Here's a guy who's a tax collector, unbelievable wealth, cheating people. The Lord comes, been working on Zacchaeus' heart. He climbs a tree because he wanted to be visible to Jesus. Jesus spots him. He says, I'm, I'm coming to your house. Why? Salvation has come to you. What's the evidence of Zacchaeus coming to the Lord? He says, a half of all I give, half of all I own, I give. I want to give, give it away. I want to pay back everybody that I've ripped off. And I want to give half of my wealth. That's 50%. It's not 10% tithe, not 20 Who told him? Did Jesus tell him to do that? No. Why did he do that? He just wanted to. Did Jesus stop him? That's too much, Zacchaeus. No. Why? There's only one thing he was concerned with. His what? His heart. Same thing with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being this kind of caretaker of our souls. I pray, for Lord, for the giving here in this church body. Not that there would be money in a box, but just that we would be people that give from our heart, Lord, out of a statement of our love for you. Will you work on us at that place? And uh, we want to give you the glory in advance. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.